Welcome to the Revenue Accelerators podcast, a show featuring B2B sales and business leaders. Hosted by Excelogy founder and 19-year sales veteran with leadership experience in strategic enterprise and telecom sales, Deep Trikonod. This show uncovers strategies and techniques business leaders have used to go from zero to one and beyond. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Accelerators is brought to you by Excelogy. We help B2B sales leaders improve sales performance by leveraging our patent-pending data-driven sales coaching systems. Find us at www.excelogy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thank you guys for joining Revenue Accelerators. Today with me, I have Bob Britton from Sales Enablement Sherpas. Bob, thank you for joining us. Um, if you can, to be here. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. If you can please give a quick intro on um, who, who's Bob, what is Sales Enablement Sherpas? <laughs> sure. So uh, Bob is somebody that's been around for uh, coming up on three decades now in the sales world. Nice. Um, so Sales Enablement Sherpas is my consultancy. And what it is, is as the name implies, I do sales enablement. Uh, but sales enablement is one of those things where you ask 10 different companies what it is and you get 13 different answers. <laughs> and so, because it's usually based upon what the problem du jour is, you know, if they're going to go through a hiring cycle, then it's all about onboarding. And if they're going to be going through some sort of a technology adaptation, then it's all about, um, you know, how do you get people to use the technology correctly, that kind of thing. So it really depends upon what the company is going through at that particular point in time. But the way I define sales enablement, uh, there's all kinds of really long and convoluted uh, de you know, definitions out there. Uh, I like to keep it short and simple. Uh, I'd say sales enablement is the identification and mitigation of friction that's impeding top-line revenue attainment, period, full stop. I love it. So, but that implies a lot, right? I mean, that, that, that's a very broad, all-encompassing thing. It is, thing. it is, it is. Okay, but that's also kind of the nature of sales enablement. You know, so sales enablement uh, was intended to be, when it first got started back around 2010 or so, it was really intended to be kind of an orchestrating function in an organization. Um, you know, the example I use to describe it is we've all seen those racing skulls that they use in universities and the Olympics and things. Well, picture that racing skull as being the, uh, the sales organization. And inside that racing skull are all of the connected functions, the disparate functions inside an organization that are there to quote, help end quote, the organization or the sales organization. So you've got marketing, IT, legal, even facilities, you name it, they're all in that boat. Yep. The problem is that they're all putting their oars in the water at a different time. They all have a different power stroke. Yep. And so this racing skull just does circles in the water, or sometimes it'll even flip over, right? So who's sitting at the very back of that boat? It's the coxswain. Yeah. In this scenario, sales enablement is that coxswain. The coxswain is the one that's making sure all the oars are going into the water at the same time, making sure everybody has the same power stroke. Uh, if you think about it, they're the only ones that are really facing forward. Yep. So, you know, we're, we're looking for the finish line and trying to see where it's going, looking left and right, trying to see what the competition is doing. But it's because sales has become so complex, that function is now necessary. 
certainly, you know, the, the CRO certainly doesn't doesn't have time to do it. And certainly none of the sales leaders themselves and the sales managers have time to do that. Yep. So this new function has to be here now because of the complexities that have crept into sales. No, that's that's a that's a great way and succinct way actually to describe it. Um, so especially as a sales, so I would suspect that you don't, you know, the sales organizations that you work with and you specialize in are on the complex side. Meaning, if they're selling widgets, not so much. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah, of- I mean, when, once you get to the point where you're commoditized and you put stuff on a marketplace. It- no need for really sales enablement. So there is, but it's more like sales enablement now is helping marketing connect with the buyer as compared to actually working with sellers connecting with the buyer. Yeah. So, you know, if there's no human being involved, it's revenue production by marketing. If there's a human being involved, then it's revenue production by sales. And, and how did you come like, if, if you don't mind me asking, like, how did how long has sales enablement Sherpa has been around? And prior to that, what was your career? How did, how did it lead you to doing what you're doing right now? Sure. So uh, I've had the consultancy since 2018. Um, and uh, one of my gigs turned into a full-time gig. I mean, just kind of had a conversation and I was able to claw back about 40 hours of my life every week because it wasn't running my own business. Uh, so, so that was fine. Um, so I did that for about uh, three and a half years or so. And now I'm back, back doing my consultancy full time. Um, but uh, prior to that, I was with NTT and Dell services, Dell services, okay. uh, Dell services sold out to NTT data. And so I had a large enablement team, uh, 12 folks around the world. And uh, I was, I was the, I was the head of that, that department. Uh, so did a lot of uh, performance consulting, working with sales leaders, that type of thing in the various verticals and uh, just really helping them figure out what they were doing uh, that could be improved and getting ahead of it before the problem actually arose. So that's really what I try to do. I try to be proactive to get ahead of the issues that they are possibly going to be having come, come up and, the pike. And what what issues did you foresee or, or what are you trying to mitigate ahead of time? A lot of it has to do with moving from transactional selling toward more consultative selling, um, especially when you're in the high tech field. A lot of the high tech sellers will tend to really emphasize the technology itself. But as much as we keep saying it, we still need to focus on the customer first. We still need to be customer centric. It's yeah. difficult for uh, technical sellers to do that. And so it really takes a, almost a paradigm shift in order to get them to do that. Okay. Yeah. So then, so are you, so who's your primary kind of stakeholder constituent, your ICP within an organization? Like, is it the sales manager? Is it the head of sales CRO? Is it VP? Like, or is it, is it sales ops? Like who are, who are the folks that you kind of mainly interface with on the day to day? So typically it's going to be the C-suite, the CRO um, and if not him or her directly, somebody right below them. Um, the trick is to develop a relationship with the company so that they're not afraid to have the ugly baby conversations mm-hmm. because that's really what it takes. And the the whole philosophy here is that uh, you can spend an awful lot of time just developing uh, the sellers and the sales leaders, and that's fine. The problem is that unless you at the same time fix any of the systemic friction that I was talking about earlier, unless you fix the systemic friction, all of those initiatives that you did with all of the individual people 
just kind of dies on the vine because the system is is not designed to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the saying goes, you know, you, you put a good person in a bad system, the bad system wins every time. Yes. That's something that a lot of people actually forget. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is why it's straddling both strategy and uh, tactics as far as what the sales enablement itself actually is. Interesting. So it's more like um, you you kind of go in and fix a process that's broken. So whatever the whatever the playbook whatever the previous playbook is written, even if it's unwritten, it's kind of word of mouth. Your, your strategy is to go fix that problem and rewrite it effectively so it can scale more efficiently. So take, for example, I don't know, let's take legal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an awful, there's an awful lot of times when um, a contract or, or a deal will get down the pike pretty far. And then suddenly the, legal department gets involved and the red lines start coming. Yep. And I have seen deals fall apart at the red line issue. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so it's a matter of how do you get ahead of that process? What's the interface between legal and sales? Is there some way that we can make sure that legal is aware of what the customer is actually going through? What's the customer's buying journey? And how can we uh, reduce the friction in all of that so that it's almost transparent to, to the customer? What does it take for the sales organization to get ahead of that? In other words, at what point do they actually start introducing things like uh, the T's and C's? So, you know, these are the types of things that you really need to get to uh, in order to improve the both the ability to win deals as well as making it easier for the customer to buy. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. Is there like, how, how do you find, or how do you, you mentioned earlier, um, C-suite folks or people directly below them, mm-hmm. um, are kind of your, your main partners when you implement these solutions. Um, how do you interface? How do you actually reach out to these guys? How do you like, what, what best practice have you found for yourself in terms of identifying who to talk to and how do you actually table what your value proposition is? Uh, it's networking mainly. Um, it, it's a, you can spend an awful lot of time just going ahead and doing the marketing. Um, I, I just find it more effective just to say, "Hey, I'm looking for a company." By the way, my my ICP as far as a company is concerned mm-hmm. are typically somewhere between five or fifty million and let's say two billion. And what we're looking to do is find them when they're in, at an inflection point. They're at 50, want to go to 100. They're at 100, want to go to 500, 500, want to go to 1 billion, because yep. that's the point where they're really looking to do something a little bit different. They're looking now at their uh, GTM strategies. They're trying to see if there's something else that they can do in order to take it to that next level. And that's gotcha. what I do is I help them brainstorm on that. I, I help them uh, point out the uh, any blind spots that they might have, and I can really just kind of advise them. That's awesome. And, and um are you mostly domestic U.S. or where 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 are you, most of your clients? It, they're all in the U.S. right now. I, I mean, dealing with GDRP and stuff like that is just a headache. So I try, I try to stay in the U.S. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, do you have? I mean, are you mostly on your own? Do you have a team? Do you have like how does how do you implement when you take your when you find a, a project and you go like what does that look like for you individually personally like how do you implement how do you execute on the promises that you've made i'm an army of one uh so it, it, on my website seshrippers.com you'll see a process that i go through it's a four stage process it's uh it's a diagnose um well, well first of all triage diagnose prescribe and treat and so you know the triaging is just looking to see if they got all the big rocks in place now, do you have all, everything in place in order to make this work? And the outcome of that would be a, an enablement charter. 
Uh, and so after we get the charter down as to this is where, the, where we're headed, who so is reporting to, what its intentions are, then we get into the diagnose phase, and that's where you start pulling apart data. That's where you look at any kind of data source you have. Uh, you do focus groups, you do ride-alongs or talk-alongs or watch-alongs, however you put it nowadays. But whatever it is that you're going to be doing with the sellers, you watch and you listen for how it is that they're selling. And are they a level one, two, three, or four type of seller? One being transactional, two being consultative, three being much more business-oriented, and four being kind of blaze a new market kind of thing. Uh, very few of those out there. But um, that's what we're doing is we're looking to actually categorize them. And then you can go ahead and you can assess the sales forces to see where everybody is in terms of what their GTM, uh, GTM strategy is. Uh, and then we can help them actually build teams. You know, So the days of the Renaissance seller where you had one person that was handling an entire territory yep. and expecting that one person in order to be able to resonate with everybody that they have to deal with. Yep. I mean, that's, that's insane. That That's like 1980s thinking, right? Um, because the number of people in a decision chain has grown from like four or five to what is it now? 11, 12, 13. I, yeah. I don't even know what the number is anymore. And more but, the higher you go up in, in revenue size. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, what we're trying to do is we're trying to just help people understand that you have to be able to speak their language and you have to be able to resonate with them. And if you are the type of person where you get into the C-suite and suddenly, you know, you, you know a couple of lines, you say a couple of things to really that, that, that sound C-Swedish, and then uh, you start to suddenly slip back into technology, that's when the, that's when the CXO is going to say, ah, I know what you are now. You're a technologist. Let me introduce you to whoever, and you're never going to get back into that C-suite yep. ever. Yep. But if you have a team of people and you have somebody that's actually really adept at speaking to the C-suite and you have your technologists that are talking uh, to the directors and below and that kind of thing, that's when things really uh, can pop for you. But you got you to know what the competencies are of your people. If yeah. you start treating sellers like they're all the same, they're all just coin-operated people, mm -hmm. then that's when everything falls apart. Because you have to understand the hand that you're playing. It's like sitting down to a poker table without ever looking at your hands if you don't yeah. do this. So so do you find that leaders, like what out of 10, you know, just rough, roughly speaking, out of 10 sales leaders that you in interact with and, and, and speak with on a weekly basis, how many of them actually acknowledge that there is a spectrum of sales performance, there's a spectrum of sales behaviors and all of that, that they, they're not commodity. The sales personnel can't just be swapped out and plugged in again into a, like they each bring their own kind of unique strengths and weaknesses. Do sales leaders that you've uh, interacted with, do they acknowledge that or, is, or do they, are they treat them like widgets or somewhere in between? Um, it's somewhere in between. They, they certainly acknowledge that everybody acknowledges it yeah. just because it's, you have to do that, right? It's, it's, a, if nothing else, it's lip service to, to, to that. <laughs> um, but in yeah. practice, what winds up happening is they get hung up in the spreadsheets and the numbers. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, it just winds up being much more of a mechanical process rather than a consultative um, conversation that you're going to be having. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, the, the trick is to say, okay, you, I heard you say, yes, that you agree with this. Now let me show you how to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether they can do it or not. Also, again, remember, it depends upon the system and whether the CXOs are on board with it also. Do you, do you, um, do you mostly like, who are you coaching when you, when you, when you apply your coaching 
methodologies. Are you coaching the individual reps or do you coach the managers of those reps or both a combination thereof? Like, how do you, how do you ensure that your message is actually making it to the target audience of the set, either the seller directly or the sales manager, like whatever the message it might be, or even potentially the value proposition to the end customer. Like, how do you ensure that that message is delivered? Yeah. So you're coaching both. Uh, You start with the sales leaders, uh, because if, unless you start there, then everything that you're doing uh, with the sellers themselves on the front line, there's a good chance that the seller, that the sales leader is going to say, I, what are you doing? I'm blindsided by what you are doing to my people here. Yep. Um, blindsiding is probably one of the, one of the top reasons that initiatives die in the vine. Yeah. You need so, buy-in. Hmm? You need buy-in from the top. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so what you need to do is you need to coach them first. Make sure they're level set on where it is we're going to be headed with this. Um, make sure they understand what it means to actually coach. I, I, most sales leaders don't know how to coach. I, I'll, I'll just say right now they they just don't. Yeah. Um, they people will coach the way that they were coached, and typically the way that people were coached is very directive. But in order to do this correctly, you have to be more Socratic about it. Mm-hmm. So you really need to, uh, first of all, find out what the goal is. Make sure that the person that you're coaching owns that goal. But where most leaders fall down in the coaching aspect of it is they don't stick with it long enough. As soon as a seller demonstrates the behavior that they're looking for, once they stop coaching, they say, okay, he's got it. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's not true. And on average, it takes about 66 days for a person to really adopt a new habit. So you really need to uh, stick with that particular thing that you're coaching on for about two months. I, they're going to get tired of hearing from you, but that's how you make it part of that seller's fabric. So that's what you need to do. And do you have like, I mean, I, 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 forgive me, I haven't looked online, but I'm not sure if you have case studies that you can share, but like kind of the results that you tout, like when you go in for the sales enablement Sherpa's value proposition, do you have like, this is the company, you know, Acme company before Bob, and this is Acme company after Bob. And what does that Delta tend to look like? And kind of what are some of the, what are the benefits of bringing you in? But depends on how they're going to be measuring performance. Every company measures performance a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you're going to get um, high single, low double digit uh, performance improvement at a minimum if you can coach correctly. Coaching is probably the number one most effective thing that a frontline sales leader can do in order to get their team running. Okay. So, so long as they know how to do that correctly and they don't be a hero. You know, they got to take the hero mentality out of it and they got to understand how to work with people. Uh, Once they understand how to do that, then things just start to click. So. Uh, That's great. Um, Is there, um, is there anything you mentioned, you know, three decades or so of sales experience? Um, Is there anything in your travels that kind of is top of mind always when talking through like lessons learned in your career of sales? Like, what not to do going forward, but you know, we're, we're all, we all make our own mistakes that we learn from. So what would be a, can, are you okay sharing um, a story or an anecdote of a mistake that you might've made early in your career or, you know, even recently, but that you've learned from and it's kind of stuck with you going forward. Sure. Um, probably one of the most important ones that the customer really doesn't care about yeah. you or your product. They care about the problem that they have that they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And in order for that to happen, you have to not oversell. 
you have to listen carefully and you have to find out what it is that they're having an issue with. Yeah. And once you've discovered that, you take whatever it is that's going to help solve that issue and that issue only. Once they see that you can solve that issue, then they're more open to other issues that you might be able to solve for them. But until you solve that first one, everything's off the table. So that so that's the most important thing. And what you need to do is you need to just cut through what I call the kabuki of sales, all of the acting and stuff that we go through, yep. all of the formalities and what have you. Cut through that as fast as you possibly can. It's different wherever you go in the world, but yeah. you know, some people just want to get right down to brass tacks. Some people want to have tea or something like that before yep. you know, whatever it takes. Cut through it as fast as you can and get to a human-to-human conversation and learn how to tell a story. Because that is where the gold lies, not in the story you're telling, but in the story that they're going to tell you back. That's where all the gold lies. Yes. And so that's, that's really what you need to get to. I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Is there, um, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything that I, we didn't cover that you, you'd like everybody to know who's listening in? Sales is hard. And it's not going to get any easier. Okay. Um, so you need folks like me. There, there's a lot of us that, that, that are out there that call themselves sales enablers. Um, just make sure that you understand which of us are actually looking at the strategically and which of them are really just primarily sales trainers. Okay. So just, just make sure you're able to differentiate that a little bit um, because those of us that, uh, have been around the block a few times and really understand what sales movement is and the power of it, we can help a lot. So uh, the, this really, promoting really the whole, the whole industry here, as far as sales enablement is concerned. That, that's awesome. So, so Bob, how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, it's easy. Uh, my, my website, which by the way, is in redesign right now. So you'd seem to the old website when you go there right now, but it's S E Sherpas, S H E R P A S.com. Uh, and my email is bob at com. Pretty easy. Simple enough. That, no, that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And for everyone listening in, um, we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Be sure to check us out at www.excelogy.com. 